This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Vince McMahon is back in the gorilla chair, sporting a fresh mustache and bad booking ideas. MJF apparently throws tequila on a child, not water. GCW, Game Changer Wrestling, has filed an official opposition to AEW's trademark for Fight Forever, the video game. And the WWE makes moves to legalize gambling for a fixed fucking sport. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome. Come on in to another episode of the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. I am your host, Seth Grimes, on a beautiful Saturday afternoon as I record this for you, for your listening enjoyment on a Sunday afternoon. Look at the bright, sunny day behind me. I'm excited to get out there and get it after I get this video edited, of course. I'm excited. I'm going to see Scream tonight. Going to see Scream 6, which is going to be uh, hopefully very, very good. I'm a big horror fan, and uh, apparently a lot of people say it's pretty lit, so I'm excited to see it. I will be recording a review for that. So if you are into other stuff besides wrestling, I know this is a wrestling show, but if you are into horror and you want to see, you know, if you see Scream, you want to see some reviews, please come back, check out my channel and check out my review on that. Uh, But that's going to be fun. I'm taking the kiddos. We're going to eat some popcorn, watch some people get murdered together. That's what, that's what fathers do. That's what a good father does with his children. Go watch some people get murdered. Get some bitches get stabbed. You know what I'm saying? Uh, also been checking out. Have you seen these Jack Vaughn videos? I got to put this over before I move on. I almost did a segment on it, but you know, I'll address it here. These Jack Vaughn videos. He's an indie wrestler. Don't know much about him, but he's popping up all over my Facebook reels and stuff. And goddamn, if I don't laugh my ass off at this man, he's doing it great. He's doing it the right way. He is making a name for himself on the indies. Look, I would not be shocked to see this guy pop up in AEW sometime at this, uh, as long as he continues on this trajectory. Look, we saw the stupid pizza twirling guy. Remember, the pizza guy went viral on fucking wrestling internet, and he ended up in a backstage skit or two or something or other in AEW. And, of course, Cornette had a field day with that one. But this Jack Vaughn fucking guy. At some point, Tony Khan's going to take notice of this dude. He's going to bring him in for, at the very least, a backstage skit. And he absolutely needs to. He's an older gentleman, so he's not in his prime. He's not going to have a big run or anything. He's like an indie veteran. And he's doing these skits out there where he's doing like indie wrestling versus professional wrestling and just make, just makes a mockery of how ridiculous indie spots can get sometimes and all the flippy floppies and just do does and theatrics that go into it and the thigh slapping. He's always, he, 
ends every skit with a good old fly thigh slap, even if it doesn't apply to whatever move that he's doing. He'll just throw it in there. And uh, he's got a lot of other fun stuff, too. Um, Just great shit. I highly recommend you seek it out. But enough about that. We are here to talk about bigger things in the world of professional wrestling, podcasts, interviews. So let's just go ahead and dive right into it with some huge news. Vince McMahon has been confirmed to be back in the gorilla position for WWE. Of course, this was maybe just a one-time thing. Let's not blow it out of proportion or, or, or make this out to be something that it might not be. Uh, rumors are that Vince McMahon was at WWE Raw this week simply to hang out with John Cena. Him and John Cena are bros. They're buddy-buddy. They love each other. They cuddle and stuff. So uh, they don't slap each other's ass when they're lifting weights. Ha-ha! <laughs> God damn it! Good job! Um... So they're buddies, and supposedly Vince was just there to hang out with John. But wouldn't you know it, you know, he got himself a good comfy seat right up next to Hunter and what, probably William Regal and Bruce Pritchard at the gorilla position. Vince McMahon sat in gorilla position, not just for John Cena's match, but for the whole show. And not only that. But Vince McMahon was also reportedly behind the Brock Lesnar almost match. This maybe was after Lesnar turned down the match idea with Bray. Uh, but Vince apparently made that match. So, is Vince McMahon back in full form? Not yet. But he's inching his way in there just a little bit. Just a little bit further every single time, right? <clears throat> Give an inch, take a mile. Oh, he's just back on the board. Oh, he's just the chairman now again. Oh, he's just pitching ideas. He's not He's not actually the head of creative. He's just contributing ideas, just watching the show and giving his thoughts. Oh, he's just, he's just in the office this week. He's just got a thing. He's just been in his office. Oh, he's just at the show now, just sitting in Gorilla. He's just watching Cena. Oh, he just made this one match for WrestleMania. You see where this is going. Vince McMahon is basically pushing his way right back into the same position that he was in before. And look, why not? It's his company. He owns it. He can do what he wants, I suppose, especially if he's going to try to sell it. Let's take a look at these clips here. Oh, before we do, there's one other thing. I can't believe I missed it. Vince McMahon is sporting a mustache. Now, the picture you've seen going around the Internet, that is not a real picture. That is Photoshopped. Uh, I don't believe there is any actual photo proof that this existed, but it has been confirmed by multiple people backstage. Vince is sporting a stash. And if you've heard anybody talk in their podcast, Vince is notoriously shaving his face constantly. He is very clean. He doesn't even, not even a five o'clock shadow for the whole entire 40, 50 years he's been alive. Or not alive. He's 70. You get my point. In 40 years he's been in the business, people have only known him to have a perfectly shaved face. And all of a sudden, dude's got a mustache. What the fuck? Check out Jim Cornette's thoughts on this, and we'll wrap it up on the other end. 
What do you think about him being at Raw just in general? Again, this is the first time he's been there in a while. He was ousted from the company, allegedly, or he resigned. I guess we can say for sure because of a sex scandal, including sex with talent. And all of a sudden, here he is backstage at the show with a mustache. <laughs> well, he was... Oh, come on now. You keep going back. Hello, girls. <laughs> Remember me? So fucking Ron Jeremy's in prison and got Alzheimer's, so now Vince has to take over the fucking legacy? Well, no, first of all, everybody did freak out, and I guess uh, they had to, on PWInsider.com, they had to put up a disclaimer that Vince was not there in an official capacity. He did not run creative. He did not produce the show from the back. Uh, that's where the story came out that he was sporting quite the mustache, but he was there. And I believe this to be true because it probably is to visit John Cena and they're in Boston. It's right up the road. It's Cena's hometown. I'm sure they... Remember, I think I've said, if Vince McMahon, and this was a couple months ago, if Vince McMahon's come back and want to sell the company, you're going to see a lot of fucking stars show up. Any issue, though, from a company perspective, of having this dirty pervert back hey, in the locker now, room? Hey, <laughs> You know what? As far as I'm concerned, to be quite honest with you, I think Vince McMahon would say, if I'm going to stop by the fucking network television production that I'm a majority owner of and meet the goddamn biggest current star that is available to me and do business for WrestleMania and the Saudis and who knows what else, that fucking locker room can get mad or get glad and kiss my big fat white ass. That's what he thinks. This is a bad look to have Vince McMahon back. Look, it's his company. Like I said, he has every right to be there if he wants to be there. Nobody's pushing him out. And even when they tried, he pushed his way back in. Because I'm Vince McMahon, God damn it! Nobody pushes Vince out of anything. Nobody tells Vince what to do. Nobody runs Vince McMahon's life. It's his company. He's going to do what he wants. And if he wants to be back, then he's going to come back and he's going to do shit the way he wants to do it. But he's doing it slowly. He's integrating himself back in. Every single step is the new normal. So now it's just going to be normal to see Vince McMahon occasionally sitting in Gorilla. Or maybe this will be a weekly thing now. Maybe occasionally he's going to start handpicking matches for people. Uh, it's concerning. And it's got to be concerning to a lot of the wrestlers in the back. You know, we talked about this before when Vince came back to the company initially as the chairman. That, you know, all these people that went to AEW that were all like, mm, I'm going to go back to Hunter now because Hunter's in charge. Uh, but, you know, all those people are biting their tongue pretty hard right now. I'm sure House of Black is super happy to be the trios champions right now and not heading back to work for Vince McMahon again. And you know what? If had that be where they ended up, fuck them. Good for them. I hope they get buried again. You know what I mean? Uh, Vince is until Vince dies, he's gonna be the boss of that company. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I don't care what, who's running what, because at the end of the day, right now everybody's just running shit because Vince is letting them run shit. You think Triple H has any authority at all, any power at all over his own position? He's there because Vince 
lets him be there. If Vince steps in and fires Triple H or tells Triple H to go home for a bit or moves Triple H to a different position like he has in the past even, Triple H can't do a goddamn thing about it. Vince is the chairman. Now, technically, it is Nick Khan's job as the CEO to appoint, fire, you know, positions and that sort of thing. So he would be the direct uh, overseer of Triple H's position. Uh, But, you know, Vince McMahon is the direct overseer of Nick Khan. So even Nick Khan is there only because Vince McMahon wants him to be there. Vince can snap his fingers and remove Nick Khan. Vince can snap his fingers and remove Triple H. He can snap his fingers and sit his ass right back down in the gorilla position with the headset on, yelling at people on the fucking headsets. God damn it, Cole. Tell him about the fucking action figures. It's a premium live event. Damn it, not a pay-per-view. Gonna hurt my voice doing shit like that. Maybe I should just go straight mustachioed. Is that a new trend? Is that something that people are doing nowadays? I saw the mullet was trying to make a comeback for a little bit. Dominic's got one going on. Cash Wheeler's got one going on. Brian Pillman, my God, the sexiest fucking mullet you'll ever see. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr., that is. I digress. What do you guys think of this Vince McMahon thing? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Uh, is this concerning that he's back in Gorilla? Was this just a one-time thing for John Cena? Um, but then what do you make of him booking the Omos and uh, Lesnar match? <clears throat> it's obviously the worst match in WrestleMania history since like The Undertaker and, and, and Giant Gonzalez, which I was a fan of as a kid, by the way. I love that WrestleMania. Everybody says it's the worst WrestleMania. It's bad. I mean, the matches aren't good, but it's a fun little show, right? Big, giant, naked man with his fur fucking crotch and, and then the Undertaker, the zombie. He got fucking chloroformed. It's good shit. Anyway, I'm out of here. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Vince McMahon back in the saddle again. Well, the WWE has taken its first official steps to legalizing gambling for scripted professional wrestling. This news broke this week that WWE had started to make moves, that they had filed paperwork, and that they are looking to legalize gambling For a scripted sport. Look, we're all marks. We should be excited for this. We can make some money off of this shit. Betting people in Vegas and the people that just try to make a buck off these fucking... They they don't know wrestling. We know wrestling. Like, look at that WrestleMania card. You know exactly who you think's gonna win every single one of those matches and why. You can predict this stuff. You know you're putting your money on Cody Rhodes to beat fucking Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. You know this. But the more I thought about this, the more that some of these matches could really be a toss-up. Because I started thinking, you know, like, okay, look at this WrestleMania card. How easy is this going to be for me to make a shit ton of money and just fucking clean up, right? Then I get to, like, a Seth Rollins and a Logan Paul, and I go, hmm. 
I'm not entirely sure about that one. I kind of think Seth Rollins, but that's kind of the fun of this, right? And people do speculate, and some of wrestling is very predictable, and some of it's just... You know, it uh, can absolutely be a toss-up or a swerve. No, I don't think they're going to do swerve for the sake of swerve, just to gamble. But it, you never know. Uh, this is a new thing, and this is going to be interesting. Let's go ahead and take a look at this news story I have pulled up here from CNBC. WWE in talks with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on scripted match results. This is insane. Uh, they're in talks with gambling regulators to legalize betting on high-profile matches, <clears throat> according to people familiar with the matter. WWE is working with an accounting firm to secure scripted match results in hopes it will convince regulators there's no chance of results leaking to the public, said the people who asked not to be named because a lot of, a lot of, People that we don't know, a lot of, according to sources, according to people that refuse to be named. Um, betting on the Academy Awards is already illegal and available through some sports betting applications, including market leaders and fan duels. So that's similar, although most states don't allow it. So, uh, you know, they work through FanDuel, DraftKings. WWE executives have cited Oscars betting as a template to convince regulators gambling on scripted matches is safe, the people said. Um, this is interesting. WWE is targeting Michigan, Colorado, and Indiana as potential states to pursue legalization, two of the people said. According to Michigan Gambling Spokesperson... Uh, when updates to the catalog are approved, the information is shared publicly through blah, blah, blah. WWE has already registered the Indiana Gaming Commission, a move related to this initiative, once people said. Oh, boy. If WWE succeeds in the bid to legalize gambling on matches, it could open the door for legalized betting on other guarded, secret scripted events such as future character deaths in TV series. I don't know about all that. That's a bit much. Allowing gambling on certain WWE matches would alter how matches are produced and how storylines are created. I don't believe that to be true at all. They're not going to fucking book for the gamblers. That's fucking stupid. Uh, for example, WWE could lock the results of WrestleMania's main event months ahead of time based on a scripted storyline that uh, hinged on a winner of January's Royal Rumble. Betting on the match could then take place between the end of the Rumble and blah, 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 blah. Oh, boy. I don't think... I mean, look. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just... It's scripted. Have fun with it, I guess. I don't know that I'm going to be spending money on it. Maybe if it's a sure thing. Like, look, man, I'm throwing money on Cody Rhodes. But, like, at the end of the day, and it's certainly not going to affect the booking, I I, I think, whoever wrote that here um, for CNBC, Alex Sherman, if that is your real name. Alex Sherman doesn't understand the wrestling business. So it is not going to be that kind of thing. And, look, it... I, at least I know like a Vince McMahon is not going to be like, oh, let's lock our script in months ahead of time 
and officially file it with some fucking state commission where they can keep it under lock and key. So they know Cody Rhodes is going to win at WrestleMania, so WWE can't turn around and fucking decide that they're going to change the results or you know on a whim or anything like that. Vince McMahon will change his results on a whim five times a day. This is this is I don't know what it's early talks is what it seems like here because I don't know that you could I don't know that this works the, the way that that was just laid out like to be turning in scripts ahead of time and locking things down and not letting stuff get leaked when how long have we been in the wrestling around the rest I shouldn't say in the wrestling how long have we been around the wrestling business watched the wrestling business and seen a script leak for something Lots of times. Lots. It's not super often, but we've seen it lots of times over the years at this point. So, And we know Vince McMahon ain't locking shit in stone months ahead of time. That could be good, but you also miss out on some of the nuances. Like, for example, Sami Zayn, right? What if they wanted to pull the trigger on Sami Zayn that night? What if they got there and they wanted to call an audible? What if they just felt it so fucking much? They're like, this is, we we have to. We, we got to do this in the moment. Remember the Acclaimed were another one? Uh, they had that great match with Swerve in Our Glory and AEW, and, and the Acclaimed lost the tag belts. But the crowd was so hot behind it, everybody after was saying they should have called an audible on that one because it kind of killed the crowd after the, the Acclaimed lost. And then they you know did it like a week later on Dynamite, and it wasn't as big because they lost that match moment so you lose uh when you when you have to lock things in so far ahead of time you lose that perspective and i don't think gambling on wwe is worth that it's a revenue stream but my i like how much money are they gonna make off people betting on this shit that it's worth like putting all that effort into pre-planning all their scripts and and look uh, you know a show can benefit from long-term booking but you also have to have the flexibility to readjust people get injured what if the shit's locked in for cody rhodes versus roman reigns at wrestlemania and cody rhodes fucking tears his other tech peck off a fucking house show what then now what Roman's got to probably face Sami Zayn, and then who's going to win that one? You got it, it doesn't work like that. So, Royal Rumble, maybe somebody's supposed to win that bitch and they accidentally get thrown out. You cannot do this. They got to figure out those logistics first, and that's going to be a problem. Um, and not to mention just the, you know, it, it's problematic that people can bet on... on scripted stuff like who's to say somebody in the know doesn't tell a friend of a friend to put in a little bet ski on something it's dumb it's dumb it's a it's a fun idea like i i, I wouldn't be opposed to throwing a better two down i'm not a, i don't do the DraftKings shit i don't do that stuff um but i wouldn't be opposed to doing it every now and then for special occasions or special events um that kind of stuff's fun. You know, we've all been to a Royal Rumble party where we've thrown a bet down either on somebody or you just pick numbers or, you know, however you do it. But that that kind of stuff can be fun. I just don't know that the logistics are going to work on this one. But, 
hey, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm missing something here. What are your thoughts? Let me know down in the comments below. Tell me, would you be excited for this? Would you gamble on this shit? How could it work with having to lock in scripts and details and prevent leaks and not have the flexibility to switch things up? Let me know. Peace, love, pizza. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Will the AEW World's Champion MJF has gotten himself into a little bit of hot water with the court of public opinion this week after AEW Revolution pay-per-view, the big Iron Man match. MJF came out victorious, of course, in a fierce battle. But during the course of the match, out in the crowd, he decided to get himself a little bit of heel heat, a little bit of cheap heat, maybe even, by snatching a cup of water out of the hand of some lady and throwing it on her kid. Not in the face, just tossed it on his lap or whatever, but still, tossing, just fucking, psh, such a heel, such a bastard, MJF is. Um... Everybody was criticizing MJF for throwing water on this kid. Well, come to find out, according to Conrad Thompson, on To Be The Man, this was, in fact, tequila. Check out this clip. Well, you brought it up. Uh, the real story over the weekend was MJF. He did that Iron Man match in the main yeah. event position. We sort of speculated maybe they would start with it. They didn't do it. They went to full 60 minutes. Time expired three and three, and then they went into sudden death. They went another seven minutes and change before MJF tapped out Brian Danielson. An incredible match that should have been what everybody was talking about, but that wasn't the story. The story is that MJF early on in the match took a drink from a mother and threw it in her small child's face, her son's face and making it even worse. MJF may have thought that because it was clear, it was water, but it was in fact, tequila and fans were all over MJF about it. And I wanted to ask the dirtiest player in the game. Was this too far in your yeah. opinion? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cheap heat. Yeah. You want to do something to get, to get, to get heat and get the people excited. It won't hurt anybody. You cut yourself so deep that when you swing your hair, you throw blood all over them. Yeah. Oh my! That's why you do it all the time when I had long hair. I would get good. Then they feel like they're part of the action. They're going, "Shit! This ain't paint. This is blood." <laughs> it's uh, it's not food coloring. It's not Gallagher. Yeah, this is yeah, the real. Yeah, deal. I, I just, I'm, I'm totally against throwing anything at a kid. My God, because you never know. Yeah. Not to mention that, but that ice in it and that it's got the liability there. I'm sure Tony did a cartwheel with gorilla. Oh yeah. AEW responded uh in, in quick fashion. They did all they could to make it up to the little man and his family. Hey, look, so to me this isn't a big deal. If that was my kid, I would love it. Cause I'm a mark, right? I'm a fan and I'm not a fucking bitch ass Karen that gets offended easy. So I'm going to see that, and I'm going to go MJF, just MJF to my kid. That sounds dirty. I don't want to say MJF. That's, that's got a poor connotation. But MJF does did what he does. You know, got some good heel heat 
by uh, throwing something on my kid. I would not be offended by that. I wouldn't even give a shit if my kid was offended. Fuck you. <laughs> you'll grow up. You'll like it later. You'll appreciate it when you grow up. You'll look back on it. The little video. Like the kid that got the basketball kicked out from under him by Ted DiBiase. That kid was sad as fuck when that happened. But, you know, he grew up and he's just like, yeah, it was cool, man. I got to, you know, be on a thing with Ted DiBiase. This kid will grow up and he'll do some fucking documentary 10 years from now. And he'll talk about how he got fucking water thrown on him or tequila or whatever the fuck it was. And, um, you know, that's how it should go anyway. But look, we live in a litigious world. Stephen Pinu, Stephen Pinu, Stephen Pinu, Stephen Pinu, call Stephen P. You know that one? Look, I listen every time. It's a catchy theme. You know, it's one ad I do not skip. That's one plug I'm not going to skip through because the theme song's dope. You know what I'm saying? Um, but look, people are litigious. And this woman would not be outside of her rights to call a Stephen P. New and be like, look, bro, you give me a few bucks for this tequila incident with my child. Look, I wouldn't be opposed to that either. This is America, bro. Make some goddamn money. Make some money. If you're going to have a guy like MJF, he's rich. He fucking held up Tony Khan or whatever for his money. I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, he kind of, sort of. You know, like, he's making some good money, right? Got some zeros at the end of his fucking bank account. So, look. Tony Khan, we all know he does, though he's not at fault in this situation, but file a little lawsuit, you know? Let him settle. Don't take him to court or anything. You don't want this to actually legally play out. Plus, it's a waste of time. You gotta dress up, go to court, shit like that. Just fucking call Stephen P. New. Get him a payday. Get yourself a payday. It's America. Now, I'm not saying that's morally right. I Like, I clearly already say it. If that was my kid, I'd laugh at him. <laughs> you got MJF'd. MJF just effed you. Sorry, I'm so... I'm sorry. But no, like, that's the kind of parent I am. You know, like, I would appreciate that, enjoy it, and, and you know, it would be fine. But, um... This is definitely a suable offense. In fact, that's technically assault. Now, are charges going to get pressed? No. I, I would I would be shocked if there were assault charges pressed in this situation. Um, you know, if I was at mob, like, if I'm mad, I'm looking for money. If I'm not mad, I'm just enjoying it as a very memorable moment at a wrestling show. You know, some people get an autograph, some people get a picture, some people get a high five in the front row, some people get tequila thrown in their face. It's part of being at the show, you know what I mean? Um, but what are your thoughts? Let me know down in the comments. Did MJF go too far? Before we even go there, let's let's address that a little bit because... Like I said, so I don't get offended easy, but maybe she did. And we've covered the litigious angle of this. So let's talk about just the moral issue and is this cheap heat and all of that. Uh, should MJF have done this? Was it cheap heat? Kind of cheap heat, yeah. It was. He, he, it's lowbrow. Anybody can get 
that kind of heat. At the same time, nobody else is doing heat on that level. Nobody's going back to those old days where they're they're really like he really doesn't give a shit. That press conference he did after it was fucking amazing. Sitting there eating his pickles and shit. MJF's very very good, and he's unique in that he's do, he's a heel in the modern era that w- just doesn't fly in the modern era. Yet somehow he's able to get away with it because he's just so unabashedly doesn't give a shit. You can't cancel him because fuck you. You know what I mean? Oh, you like it? Mm, suck my dick. You know what I mean? That's MJF's opinion of it. That's like how he handles it anyway, and it allows him the leeway to be that way i think us collectively as wrestling fans just kind of understand that you're not gonna we're not gonna cancel mjf for being the most despicable human being on earth because we actually kind of appreciate that he's willing to go that far so even though that this is a cheap heat incident i think it's okay because it was mjf and because nobody ever goes that far if that was something that like say like fucking Oh, I don't know. Kip Sabian did fucking out of nowhere or whatever to get a little heat. It would be pretty stupid and in poor taste. But MJF doing it, it's like, it's his character. He's a despicable fucking human being. He's a worthless bastard. The lowest of the low. You know what I mean? So it's like, it just fits. So I don't think it, I don't think it was cheap heat for him. It might have been a step too far because he's going to end up getting himself sued or the company sued at some point if this doesn't get him or the company sued. Uh, It's going to happen. At one point, there's going to be a step too far that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. He needs to be a little bit more careful with that. I know in the course of a wrestling match, you know, your blood's pumping, the adrenaline's going, you're feeling yourself in the moment. Uh, I'm sure it was a very spur-of-the-moment thing. I'm sure Tony Khan was highly upset because he's the one who's accountable for this at the end of the day. He's the one who's got it. And look, I mean, you can sue anybody. You know, they could sue the fucking building if they wanted to, too. Sue the building, sue MJF. They could probably sue fucking Brian Danielson for being in the match with MJF if they really wanted to. Uh, So MJF has to be very careful about this kind of shit. He's got to walk that line between being the most despicable, hated, piece of shit heel on the planet, doing the lowest of the low. Like, look, I honestly like he needs to do more, more like people. People were up in arms about the whole, oh, I got in a car accident. I switched places with my girlfriend and made her get in trouble. People were People despised MJF. Oh, he went too far. He went, shut the fuck up. MJF needs to keep going too far. One, because society needs it. It needs a little push. You know what I mean? Everybody's so sensitive. Everybody wants to be coddled in their safe space, blankets and shit. And MJF needs to come and just throw tequila on all their fucking little safe space blankets and fucking wake them up a little bit. I like that. I like it, and and I think we need more of it, but there has to be a balance because we also live in a world where, you know, we're litigious, and there are lines that are just too far. I don't think this was it, but I think MJF's getting close. You know, is he going to say something that's that's 
too much? Is he going to actually assault somebody? Is somebody going to get hurt by something that he does that he didn't intend them to? You know, maybe he does that and a piece of fucking ice flings and knocks this kid's fucking tooth out or hits him in the eye or you never know. So be cautious, still be an asshole, still be a heel, still push boundaries. Don't pull it back in these cheap heat fucking, oh, he took it too far. Keep pushing that envelope, but be as smart and aware of yourself as humanly possible and and maybe run it by legal just to be safe. Um, But what are your thoughts? Let me know down in the comments below. Did he go too far? Are you being a Karen about this too? Um, or do you like it? Do you think, yeah, MJF, uh, old school heat, you know, just go as low as you can go. Would you sue? Would you be like, yeah, give me a little cut just to get that fucking settlement paycheck. You know what I mean? Would it be worth it? You're perfectly entitled to it at this point. He's abs. That lady will absolutely get a fucking settlement check out of this by filing a lawsuit. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New, Stephen P. New. Call Stephen P. Fight forever. Clap, 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 clap. The AEW video game Fight Forever has been uh, in production for quite a long time at this point. And Tony Khan recently said that it is done and ready to be released. So what the fuck is the holdup? Everybody's wondering, right? Let's get a fucking release date. Let's get going on some pre-orders. Let's do this shit. Well, we might have a clue as to one thing that might be holding this up. As according to Wrestling Inc., GCW is opposing AEW's Fight Forever trademark in settlement negotiations. Look at that picture. It looks like shit, by the way. That is not a good fucking graphic. Look at that belt. It looks so flat. There's no texture to it. It's completely flat. Moxley looks like a goddamn caveman. I mean, he looks like a werewolf normally, but here he looks like a caveman. The brow is a little too thick. I know they're not going for extreme realism. They're going for arcade style, but still, it's a little rough there. There's still no release date. This is by uh, David Bickenspan. There's still no release date for Fight Forever, blah, 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 blah. Ready to be released, but no date has been dropped yet however paperwork filed with the u.s patent and trademark office a few days before a revolution points to another possible holdup gcw is formally opposing AEW's registration of its fight forever trademark with the documents indicating the two companies are in settlement talks the documents consist of mike dawkins Gimmick attorney Mike Dawkins, who represents several talents for AEW, who represents GCW and others in trademark proceedings regularly, filing a request on March 1st for an extension of time to formally oppose AEW's trademark, as well as the United States patent approval of the request 
of the fo- for the request the following day. GCW and Dawkins now face a May 31st deadline. In the request for the extension, GCW indicates that it needed to extend the deadline, originally March 2nd, not just so it could further investigate the claim and confer with counsel, Dawkins, but also because it's engaged in settlement discussions with AEW. GCW held its own fight forever in January of 2021 as a 24-hour event with no fans in attendance. I remember that during the COVID lockdowns and such like that. Uh, When reached by Wrestling Inc., Dawkins, Mike Dawkins, attorney, gimmick attorney, declined a request for comment. As of the writing, neither GCW nor AEW has responded to similar requests. However, we do have an update over here on Twitter, as we have Brett Lauderdale, who is the boss man. He's the Paul Heyman, if you will, of GCW. He Twitter posted, GCW has never and will never ask for a dollar of Tony Khan's money. This was in response to some fucking nerd on the internet here saying, this seems pretty clear, like most other wrestling people, they just want some of Tony Khan's money. This is ridiculous. Well, first of all, they had a fucking event called Fight Forever. I don't know if they filed a trademark for it or what the situation is here, but we'll get more into that in a second. JD from New York chimes in, but we'll leave that be. Because Sean Ross Sapp has a little bit of a news update on this. He posted, GCW is not looking to delay the release of AEW's video game or get money from AEW. Per GCW, they're looking to simply make sure that they can still use the name in future charity shows. Um, Look at JD, GCW starting the process to oppose the video game is lowbrow, carny, indie garbage. That's a bad take by JD, by the way. Very bad take. Let's uh, let's let's take a look at this here. So, here's the way that I see it. GCW had an event called Fight Forever. So, I don't know if they trademarked it. Probably not, because they are indeed rific. <laughs> you know what I mean? They probably might not have the money to do that. Maybe they did. Either way, they got an attorney involved. You know, they had the event. Uh, it does not appear that they're fighting over the name even. Uh, or for money, this isn't a lawsuit. This is, uh, they want to make sure that they didn't lose the name somehow, from what I gather, or that they're able to just continue doing their Fight Forever events, and that's AEW is going to be okay. Like, you can do GCW's fine. Like, do the video game. Let us do our fucking charity show. And I think that seems to be where the, the injunction comes in and what they're looking into doing at this point. Uh, This could change. GCW could certainly seek monetary resolution if they had. Look, if they have copyrighted Fight Forever, then they got AEW by the balls. I don't think they did because AEW certainly would have looked into a copyright before just naming the game and promoting it, coming out with it publicly. There's no way they're just like, oh, let's call it Fight Forever and not copyright it in the fucking world of professional wrestling. And I don't know how much you know about trademarks and stuff. Certainly, I'm not an expert either. And by the way, copyright and trademark are different things, even though I seem to be using them interchangeably. Um, but, you know, if a trademark is filed for Fight Forever by GCW, 
Uh, it's going to cover anything related to wrestling so that, say, Impact Wrestling can't do a fight forever event without GCW suing the fuck out of them or WWE even couldn't use fight forever. This is something like MLW has been, you know, uh, got into lawsuits with WWE before over like war games and stuff like that, because for a little bit, uh, MLW had war games. So. This is, you know, it, it doesn't sound like GCW has trademarked this. Otherwise, uh, AEW would have never been able to get Fight Forever off the ground in the context of professional wrestling anyway. So now it sounds like maybe GCW is like, fuck, we still want to use that name for our thing. I don't know the exact, you know, without seeing any court case, who knows who trademarked what. How any of this works, maybe AEW's legal team did overlook this when they called the game Fight Forever, but I, I just can't imagine they would. a company the size of AEW would create a video game called Fight Forever without trademarking Fight Forever as a term for AEW wrestling, you know what I mean? So it's a little strange how this is playing out, but it doesn't look like a money grab. And look, Brett Lauderdale seems like a pretty good dude. He's not a shysty little fucking... Weasel, you know what I mean? He's not a scumbag, indie fucking rific garbage promoter, as JD from New York said. You know, and I know JD's got hot takes and he's outspoken and stuff, and that's part of his character too. And you know, feisty New York motherfucker and all that, but that's a bad take. I don't, I don't see GCW doing this to to just be a dick or do a money grab or anything like that. Maybe that's how it plays out. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Um, but this just seems to be like, let's just work out how this is going to, how we're going to use these, uh, this name fight forever, you know, how, who can use what and how let's get all this situated. So they're working on a settlement. They're working on an agreement. They're, they're probably working with AEW to sit down and go, okay, you can use it for this. I can use it for that. I won't call it a video game. You won't call it a pay-per-view. Bada bing, bada boom, we're good. That could very well be. Look, AEW's Fight Forever video game, to me, doesn't take away from a GCW Fight Forever pay-per-view. It's not WrestleMania, the video game. You know what I mean? It's not necessarily an established brand yet. And Fight for it just to me, they, they're almost two different things. Fight Forever is a term in wrestling, not necessarily a brand in wrestling. Uh, it's kind of, you know, once it, it's a chant, it's a chant. It's like calling a fucking game what? You know, pay per view what? You can't own what? I mean, you could, but like. You get my point. I'm digressing again. So, I don't know. What are your thoughts? How do you see this? Is GCW being a bunch of greedy little bitches? Money grab for Tony Khan? Or was AEW in the wrong for calling this game Fight Forever, knowing full full well that GCW had a Fight Forever event? Did GCW get caught slipping? Did they not trademark this bitch? And now they're facing a situation where they could lose their pay-per-view name and maybe gimmick attorney Mike Dawkins is simply fighting to try to hang on to the rights to use the pay-per-view name. Who knows? But uh, I'm going to keep an eye on this. We'll see how this plays out. We'll see where things go. Um, but I am curious your thoughts. Let me know in the comments below. Peace, love, and pizza. I'm going to move ahead to the next. Woo! Well, the nature boy, Ric Flair, 
and Dirty Dutch Mantel, good old Zeb Coulter, got into it this week with a little bit of an exchange that started with Dutch Mantel on his podcast, Storytime with Dutch, where he was talking about Ric Flair's last match. This has been something that he's been critical of. He has taken shots at Ric Flair's last match in the past as uh, just, you know, something that he probably shouldn't be doing, to be 100% honest. And this was in the context of Ric Flair bragging about how much money he made. When people say that he was, uh, you know, people criticizing his last match, Rick is like, well, I made a shit ton of money off of it, you know. So Dutch Mantel was asked about this, and Dutch Mantel does what he does naturally, tell the truth, just fucking just speak from the heart on it. So this is what Dutch Mantel had to say about Ric Flair's last match. Check out this clip. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was really, I was disappointed. And it was, he ripped the fans off. And even he planned, and I've said this before, the layout of the match was wrong. Why didn't they let his son-in-law do the sale part and Rick make the comeback instead of him going in there and trying to sell and then winning the match? And he was sweating like a, a Russian racehorse. And... <laughs> And I've even had, uh, I've had people write me and said, I thought he was going to, you know, seriously, people thought he was going to die. And I think he passed out a time or two in there. Didn't he yep, doesn't even twice. remember it. He doesn't even remember it. So Ric Flair now is trying to leave a legacy and he should have left it alone or changed a lot of things in that match because his legacy now is tarnished. I don't know. Uh, Rick Flair is full of shit. It always has been. Rick Flair is full of shit and always has been. That's so fucking funny. I love I love me some Zeb Coulter, man. Dutch Mantel is my guy. Uh, I've said it here on this show multiple times that if I was running a wrestling company and I wanted to build a booking team around me, Dutch Mantel is on my booking team. I think he's smart. I think he's honest. I think he gets hit. I, he gets the business, and he's been around the booking teams a long time, too. He booked for Puerto Rico. He basically ran that fucking territory. Uh, so Dutch knows his shit. He's a smart guy. He booked TNA. You know what I'm saying? So uh, smart guy, knows his shit, never shy on his opinions. And I didn't know he had a beef with Ric Flair like that. Well, Ric Flair couldn't take this lane down. And I, look, I'm sure we're going to hear about it next week on his podcast, probably too. But he was not shy to respond on Twitter either. Let's take a look and see what he had to say over on the Twitter we have Ric Flair at Ric Flair Nature Boy saying, thank God they used the word veteran and didn't call you a legend. Just a miserable old wrestler trying to make a buck. And by the way, you never had a legacy to begin with. Woo! Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <clears throat> Sorry, the woo always makes me cough. Hits me in that spot. Look, I, I didn't know they had that kind of heat, I guess. You know, Ric Flair's full of shit, always has been. 
Ric Flair's a bitter guy. What does he call him? By the way, a miserable old wrestler trying to make a buck. Boy, if that ain't the pot calling the kettle black, ain't it? A miserable old wrestler trying to make a buck. That's Ric Flair. That's really, if you were to, to describe that, people would tell you Ric Flair. Uh, look, I don't fault Dutch for having a podcast trying to make a buck. What else are you going to do as an old-ass wrestler? Sit down and tell stories, and Dutch tells great stories. That's why his fucking podcast is called Storytime with Dutch Mantel. You sit around a fucking campfire and you listen to Uncle Dutch tell stories about the wrestling business. It's fucking brilliant. Look, maybe I am a little biased. I've covered this for a long time here. Ric Flair has a long history of being a bitter, crabby, miserable fuck. He gets offended easy. He has thin skin. He takes shots at everybody uncalled for sometimes. He'll go off on a rant. Fucking, he'll be talking with Conrad, and Conrad will just fucking be t- saying something, and Flair will be like, hey, what'd you say, Jim Hurd? Conrad's like, no, I didn't say Jim Hurd. He's like, oh, I thought you said Jim Hurd, because fucking Jim Hurd. Fuck that guy. <laughs> what a piece of shit he was. Nobody brought it up. What the fuck are you talking about? So that this kind of shit that Rick is very bitter. Very bitter. He loves to take his little shots. Uh, he did it just this week on his show again. I forgot who he was criticizing. Uh, it might have been Austin Theory. Uh, I think he went in on somebody else pretty hard, too. Rick just... Uh, I don't know where that mentality comes from. Look, I love a good shit talk once in a while. Like I, you know, I come from a rap background. I love a good beef, a good fucking... Uh, uh, a good diss track, you know what I mean? Like, taking shots back and forth can be fun, can be entertaining, and look, fuck, it's good for my show. Look at this. We're talking about it. it, gives me something to talk about. Look, I'm entertained by it, but at the end of the day, like, what's in these fuckers' hearts when they're, like, look, Dutch, from what I can tell, and he has been overly critical of Ric Flair's last match. They've had multiple segments on his show Different angles approaching it in different ways, but he's been very critical of it. But a lot of people have. I don't know that he's picking on and look just by in in call a spade a spade by saying Ric Flair's full of shit and always has been. He is in no uncertain terms saying that he does not like Ric Flair. So clearly he's biased there. But it, this doesn't look like he's a miserable old fuck trying to make a buck. He's not out here, let's bury it. This isn't the Ric Flair burial show to fucking make some money off of it and get clicks, brother, brother. He's asked topical questions. Maybe this was teed up to get this particular reaction out of him, but he's just answering a question. Dutch doesn't strike me as a particularly vengeful or spiteful or miserable guy. He's probably a little bit miserable. You know, he's an old crotchety fucker. But he's just honest. Brutal honesty sometimes, you know. But I I have the utmost respect for Dutch Mantel. And I can't say the same for Ric Flair. Sorry. Hot take here. Dutch Mantel, all the respect in the world. Ric Flair... I I don't like Ric Flair. I really don't. I want to like Ric Flair. I respect Ric Flair, the wrestler. I respect his wrestling career. I respect his legacy. I don't respect Ric Flair as a man. I don't. I don't. I think he's, he's a pretty horrible human being, to be honest with you. I think his perspectives are all out of whack. I think after almost dying and coming back, 
He should just be thankful to be alive and be happy and, and come from in, coming from a place of peace. But he's coming from a place of being an elitist, being above other people, being better than other people, putting other people down, making fun of other people, criticizing other people. He talked on his recent show about how he used to dunk people's heads in toilets. He's done it a couple times. Laughing about it still to this day. What kind of like... What kind of man is that? I know some of you are out there giggling and look at I mean, it would be funny, I'm sure, especially if the guy really deserved it. But what kind of human being at 70-some years old still gets a giggle about dunking multiple toilet people's heads in toilets? I don't know, man. I, I just think Ric Flair, he's, he's a very thin-skinned, salty, egotistical... I mean, you've heard, I, I just went through it all. Uh, I, I, I know it sounds bad. I know Ric Flair has his fans. And I know people are going to criticize me for my opinion on Rick, But that's just how I see it. And though this started with Dutch and Rick is only responding, and I get that, I still think Rick is out of line here. It, 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 it's the pot calling the kettle black. Even if what you're saying is true, have you looked in the fucking mirror? Have you heard yourself ever on any show? It's just, it's the perspective of, of it, I guess. Where Rick is coming from, where Dutch is coming from. Dutch isn't out here to to bury Ric Flair necessarily. He's just not going to hold back when asked about Ric Flair because he doesn't like the guy. Just like I'm not holding back talking about Ric Flair right now, you know? Nobody asked me, of course, but it's my fucking show, and I pick the topic, and it's a thing that's going on, and the thing, it's a thing and the thing. So that's my thoughts on it. I don't know. What are your thoughts? You like this kind of shit? It can be entertaining sometimes, right? I'd like to see what Rick has to say on his show. I wonder if he's going to leave this beer, if he's going to go hard on Dutch. I'm surprised that there's that much heat because they come from the same era. I would have thought they would have worked and been around each other. Um, but I, I just, I side with Dutch on this one. But that's just me. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Well, last week we covered Chris Jericho saying that he has zero interest in a return to the WWE he has firmly planted his flag in AEW. That's where he wants to be. He signed a long-term 10-year contract. He'll be there until he's 61. Um, he's going to probably retire as a professional wrestler for AEW as a company. And he's proud of it. He's very outspoken about how proud he is of AEW, how he wants to be the guy behind leading this revolutionary change in the business. And no matter what you think about AEW, you can never take away the fact that they have changed the business forever. They've given a whole nother place for people to come and make million dollar contracts, multi hundred thousand dollar contracts. It's a big, big deal what they've been able to do. And Chris Jericho has been at the forefront of that. So there's no wonder why he doesn't want to leave AEW besides the huge fat paycheck that he's getting and the complete creative freedom and all of that. 
Uh, but to talk more about it, Chris Jericho was on the Sessions podcast with Renee Paquette this week. And it was a pretty damn good chat, as it always is with Renee. God damn, she's one of the best interviewers in the business, period. Her conversation skills are almost next to none. I can't think of too many that could be better than her. She's just so fucking easy to talk to, so kind, so like warm and like creating that atmosphere where you feel comfortable opening up to her. She really is like talking to your fucking sister or something like that. You know, she's great. Uh, and Chris opened up. They had a great conversation about all kinds of different things. And they were on this very subject about Chris not having any interest to go back to WWE. And then he elaborated, you know, not just why he wants to be with AEW, but he got into what his roles are. He's like, look, I got a lot of roles in AEW. And here's a clip of him talking about exactly what he does in AEW that keeps him so engaged behind the scenes, that keeps him carrying that flag for AEW for the next 10 years. Check out this clip. That's why I, I wanted to go to AEW because I didn't want to just be in WWE and just be there for the sake of being there. I wanted to try and make a difference in, in, in wrestling and change the course of wrestling history, which we did. So that kind of reinvigorated my whole love and fire and passion for wrestling. And now that we're three, you know, three and a half years in, I have a lot of responsibilities in AEW, and it's not just in the ring. It's a lot out of the ring, especially over yeah, the Yeah, what are some of the other hats that you're wearing? Because you are very busy doing things outside of being Chris Jericho in the ring. Well, I think just being Chris Jericho backstage, like I have the most experience out of anybody in the company with the exception of Dustin Rhodes, but also because I came in uh, as kind of the flagship guy. Like when AEW first started, it was on my back for the first few months. We knew this. How many stars can we make? Let's bring in Mox. But the Cody wasn't as big as he was. No one really knew who Kenny and the Bucks were. Hangman Page, Darby Allen, Jungle Boy. Those are some of the guys I can recall working with right out of the gate. Just like we have to get more plates spinning here. So backstage, there's a lot of advice given out, a lot of uh, listening, a lot of bartender listening. You know, I've got a problem with this. I've got a problem with that. There's a lot of working closely with Tony Khan, a lot of locker room leading you know, especially over the last six months or so when we kind of had to take the reins back when there was a lot of bad publicity and a lot of uncertainty in the dressing room. As a matter of fact, your, you know, your, your, your man uh, and, and Danielson and myself kind of like, we have to really take charge here because we're going to lose the dressing room. And if you lose the dressing room, you're fucked. So there's a lot of that sort of thing going on. Um, ba basically everything, you know, I, I think it's kind of almost like a real general Tony Khan's probably got a lot of right-hand men, but I think I'm probably one of them. Uh, and also, too, kind of just helping out the locker room. And, and I produce probably half the backstage promos that you see. Just trying to help as much as I can. Yeah, dude, I've said it. He's the EVP without the name. You know, he's been on record saying that he was offered an EVP position by Tony, but he turned it down. But he still does all that work. He literally says that he comes up with, he's in fucking creative meetings with talent that he has not, nothing to do with their angle. He's an authority figure backstage. He's an advisor. He books all of his own creative. He's able to book indie wrestlers if he wants to. If he feels the need, he can just, okay, you'll be on the show. He's fucking, he's definitely a right-hand man for Tony Khan. 
And he's doing so many different things back there, and he loves it. He loves every bit of it. And some people think that that's bad for the business, like the Cornette, for example. You know, he's very outspoken against Chris Jericho. He's ruining the business and everything. I think anytime you get a guy like Chris Jericho backstage to help people out with their promos, to help them guide them in their creative path, their storylines. I'm not saying he's a creative genius, genius, but he has the experience in the business. He's worked under Vince McMahon. He can bring a lot of that to AEW. He spent what? How many fucking years with Vince McMahon? 20 almost? He understands how the machine works. He knows how to do things. And he's talking about like how to how he fucking communicates with Tony Khan. It's interesting. I think Chris, I, I think this is creatively fulfilling for Chris. And again, you know, obviously it all boils down to money. It's cash and creative, like Jim Ross always says. Cash-wise, he's never going to get a fatter paycheck for WWE again. It's just not going to happen. And creative-wise, he's never going to be more creatively fulfilled. He's going to walk into WWE, they're going to hand him a script and say, here's what you're doing today. Maybe he'll have some opinion on it, but... For the most part, he's going to get booked in whatever the fuck they want to book him in. And it's probably going to be to put a bunch of young guys over. Not that he's not doing that in AEW now or trying to do that at least, right? Um, but he's doing it in his own way. And he's coming up with his own ideas. And, and he can lead his own creative charge. And he's still free to go do things like the Battle of Los Angeles. You know how fucking awesome? Like Chris Jericho is very much a bucket list guy. The more you listen to him, he likes the idea of being able to do new things and scratch things off his list and be able to say, I did this and I did that. And, I, and look, Battle of Los Angeles is a fucking, it's an iconic thing in wrestling. It really is on a smaller level in professional wrestling on the indie scene. But it's like the biggest indie event of the year, pretty much. Certainly one of, it's world-renowned. People come from all over to be a part of Bolo every year, and including the Jericho Appreciation Society. So, dude does a lot of work for AEW. He certainly earns his keep around there. Sounds like he's, you know, at the forefront of being an EVP, at the forefront of developing the younger talent, the creative, uh, and at the forefront of... of being able to to play play Mr. Tony Khan knows how to talk to him, knows how to work him, knows when to hit him up, knows how to convince him. Jericho, man, he's got he's got a good gig. What what else can you say? I liked it, but this was a fantastic conversation that he had with Renee. Uh, this was some of the newer information because we've all heard these stories about Chris Jericho, you know, doing this behind the scenes, doing that behind the scenes. But I don't think he's ever actually itemized them necessarily like he did here, and and really exposed just how big of a part he really is of the actual machine of AEW. I think Chris Jericho. At least the way he talks, very much fancies himself to be AEW. Not just a guy that's hired to work for AEW, but I think AEW runs in his blood. He sees a lot of AEW as his baby, even though it's Tony's baby. I think Jericho sees it as his baby, too. And I think that, along with a giant fucking truckload of money, is why he's staying where he's staying. Well, it was made public information that FTR's contract with AEW is up this April. 
And according to Dax on his podcast, as he's been talking about it over the last few weeks, that they had asked for their time off from AEW to both heal their bodies and to consider their next move in the business as they are looking at an upcoming free agency in a completely different wrestling world than it was when they came to AEW. And uh, they had said that even Dax had even said as much that he reached out to Tony Khan and had not heard anything back. There was some beef that Tony Khan didn't acknowledge FTR in like the the feud of the year with the Briscoes or whatever. Just acknowledge the Briscoes. And all of this seemed to be not looking good for an AEW re-sign, even though Dax had also been very critical of WWE. And there was the teasers, there was the thing with the, the little WWE contract in the bottom of the picture. Very teasery stuff going on. And then uh, it came out by Mike Johnson this week that uh, this was all a work. That with FTR returning at Revolution, picking up the tag titles, looks like they're going to have a little run with the ass boys again, that this was... FTR has re-signed a long-term deal with AEW and that all of this was just a work, just to fuck with fans and just kind of keep the speculation out there to inevitably have FTR return home to AEW. And everybody was widely reporting this. And look, Mike Johnson's no fucking slouch. He knows his shit. He's certainly not a, he's not just a fly-by-night fucking dirt sheet writer, you know? It's not ringside news or something like that. He's a real journalist, goddammit! But, uh, you know, look, every, you know, journalists get shit wrong, and, and perhaps he did, perhaps he didn't. But we had on the FTR podcast with Dax Harwood this week, Uncle Dax saying that not so fast. Nothing's changed. I don't know where this is coming from. We ain't signed shit. We're still going to be free agents in April. Check out this clip. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your return. Okay. First of all, you just said you have some time to think about your contract. Uh, Mike Johnson of PW Insider reported y'all already locked up and that your absence... Oh, was oh, a storyline thing. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, this is a chance to respond or we can edit it out, you know? No, no, that's fine. Uh, but Mike Johnson okay. reported that yesterday, I think, from PW Insider that uh, you guys already have long-term contracts and that um, your absence was storyline related. For storyline cover, he said. Okay. That's surprising to you that that's a, that's a story right now? That is very surprising to me because zero has changed. Okay, I'll give you all right. So we talk about the magic of wrestling and stuff, and I uh zero has changed. Let's put it that way. Um we got a call from Tony, and this was maybe five days before the pay-per-view. Maybe it could have been it could have been four days uh before the pay-per-view, and um he's I I don't know, and I, I'm just guessing that he either heard a clip, listened to the podcast, or read one of the headlines where I said um, we were ready to come back. Our bodies were healed. We were just waiting for the call, and we wanted to do what was right by business because we are right. um, we are contracted through April. And you and I have been talking 
uh, well, we've been talking over the last couple of months, but just recently sure. we've been talking about, you know, what my status is with the company. Um, and here's the thing, like cash and I never, ever were, we're not trying to hold up anybody, AEW or WWE or New Japan or no, we're not trying to hold anybody up for more money. Uh, or, or like, we're not trying to play the game, you know, as far as like, well, they're going to offer us this and they're offering us this. And it, we're not, it's, it's not even about that. It's about what is going to honestly, like money is a big, a big, a big factor. What's going to make us happy, you know, and weighing options. There are a ton of options. Um, our choice right now is, is strictly on happiness. That's all. So the, the the pros of staying in AEW is uh, a great schedule where um, I can come home and be with my family. Um, the pros of WWE is they are the number one, at least and for the foreseeable future too, they are the number one uh, money-making professional wrestling company in the world. Um, and they prop monetarily, they, 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 could offer us a great deal too. And I, but I don't think in WWE, I don't feel like uh, we will be able to have a kind of schedule that we would like to do. If we're lying to the public, no game at all. I, what, honestly, what is it going to do? If I, if, if I lie to you and say, Oh no, we, right. we've signed a deal or no, we haven't signed a deal. There's zero gain in that. It all, it, if anything, it's hurting us, you know, right, because right. if we're lying, then that, that goes against our word with either Tony or Hunter or, or Vince or whoever, or new Japan or, right. or AAA or, you know, whatever. So there's zero gain in that. Um, I will say that these reports are going to say whatever they want and that's okay. Uh, I will just say nothing has changed and please allow everything to play out because come April uh, you'll be able to understand what we're doing and uh, where we're going. I don't know what to believe anymore. I, I don't, I know Dax likes a little kayfabe in his life. You know, he was a little vague with the young box and stuff like that too. his relationship with the box because he knows that there's possibly a future match in there and that's better for the match. If the fans think that there's heat there, whether there is heat or is not heat, he's not going to confirm nor deny because that element helps make that match better. It helps build the hype for that kind of thing. Uh, I don't know what it does to help anybody at this point if they have already re-signed to just not admit it yet. Unless there's more to a storyline that's coming up or something about them maybe being free agents. Maybe they le they have them in the ass boys. They get a tag title match and it becomes a loser leaves. Or like, you know, if we win, we're the tag champs. But if we lose, we'll leave AEW. That would certainly be a booking decision to make that would lead Dax to be like, no, man, we haven't re-signed shit. And then people would go into that match thinking, fuck, they said they haven't re-signed. And this is a loser, you know, if they lose, they leave AEW. They could lose and, and leave AEW. This is this could be their last match. And then they win. They win the tag belts. And then it's announced that, yes, they have signed long-term deals with AEW. That would be the only reason. Otherwise, just fucking say it now. You're back. 
yes, we're back. We've signed our contracts and we're we're on the hook. I don't know. And Mike Johnson doesn't typically get shit wrong, though anybody's capable of getting shit wrong. I tend to believe Mike Johnson here, and here's why. I think Dax, I think FTR is best suited to work for AEW. I think when they're looking at how do we want to end our careers, we're getting older. You know, everybody says, oh, the money's in WWE, like fucking AEW pays people like fucking Impact or something. You know, they're paying people indie money. Shut the fuck up. AEW has life-changing money. Are you serious? Are you serious? Tony Khan could write a fucking check that he could wipe his ass with. And it wouldn't even he he wouldn't even fucking lose uh, twenty seconds of sleep over a, a big fat paycheck that would be fatter than anything that WWE would sign FTR to if he actually wanted them, and I would if I was Tony Khan. Fuck, man, but I, I like tag team wrestling and I love FTR. I would want to build my tag team division around these guys. That would be my pitch for them. Please come resign with me. Long term, I know you guys are looking for your last contract. Let's make it worth your wild. Let's let you get out there and have some fun on the indies and do all your dream matches. And let's make you our AEW tag team champions and just fucking have the run of a century and help fucking build this tag team division. Of course, they could lose the belts and stuff, but let's build it around you guys. You know, let's have the best tag team division in the world. But that's just me. Um, I don't know what Tony sees in FTR. Dax has talked about Tony in some ways. It makes me think maybe Tony doesn't see all the hoopla and hype in FTR that some of us wrestling fans do see in FTR. Um, but I think it, it, it's smart for FTR because they're going to get the same money or very comparable money. They're not going to... It's not like they're going to get paid peanuts compared to WWE. That is not something. If that's a narrative you're running with, you're fucking dumb. Tony Khan's got all the money in the world. He's got more money. My boss got more money than your boss, Chris Jericho always says, right? <laughs> WWE guys. That's half the reason why AEW is so successful is they have the money to compete, both on a production level and on a talent acquisition level. So that's off the table. So they're going to get comparable money. Maybe not as big of a, of a money of a paycheck, but it might be a little less because they're also going to have less dates, which is another reason why FTR would want to re-sign with AEW. They're family men. Well, maybe not Cash. Cash doesn't have kids or anything, but Dax certainly is. It's nice to be home with your kids and your wife and, and do your podcast and all of that fun little stuff. You know what I mean? It just doesn't seem like they're going to have all that freedom and time with their family, working one day a week, two maybe, uh, and then, you know, select indies. They're not going to have that kind of freedom of their schedule with WWE. Uh, the ability to work outside of AEW, New Japan runs, Mexico runs, GCW for fuck's sakes, anything, anywhere. Ring of Honor again. Anywhere but WWE, essentially. Why not? Why not? You know, that can happen under AEW. So dream matches that they want to have, go fucking do them, bro. Do those shits. Have those dream matches. 
Not only that, but FTR, my guess, are going to be able to have better tag team matches in AEW. They're not going to be as restricted with what they can and can't do in the ring. Um, there's just so many more benefits to being in AEW for them than I think for WWE. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they really just don't like the Bucks. They don't like Tony Khan. Um, and, and they just, they're looking to get away, you know, they'll want to go back and give Papa H another try. Uh, problem is Vince is sitting in the chair again, isn't he? And Dax is very outspoken about the Vince's dislike for FTR and FTR's dislike for Vince. So there's that. Plus Dax is also outspoken, uh, uh, on record saying that Triple H wasn't necessarily Papa H to them like he was to so many others. Just because they came up in NXT, they still never felt like they were Triple H guys. They weren't Triple H's top choice. They were the guys to work with Triple H's top choice. You know, they worked with uh, DIY uh, because DIY was Triple H's guys and so on. You know, American Alpha and just those feuds that they were having there were kind of designed to get other people over. Just so happened people started to like FTR, so... I think they're signed. If they're not already signed with AEW, they probably will. But it's still up in the air, I guess, until we know for sure. We don't know. And Dax is still certainly playing the mystery. Uh, look, man, I'm no booker of the year or anything like that. But keep your eye out for a if you lose, you leave AEW. I certainly see that. FTR is coming back for another title shot. Ass boys, all they got to do is say, guys, we already beat you guys. We don't need to face you. We don't want to face you. But I'll tell you what. If you want one more shot at the champs, that's fine. But this time, if you lose, you leave AEW. So it's titles versus careers. That's a that's that's how I would do it. So keep an eye out for that one. That would be smart booking. And then you 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 leave it vague. You got Dax on his podcast talking about I don't know what our future is going to be. Maybe tease WWE a little bit more. <laughs> That's exactly what you do. And then FTR gets the win. You build the uncertainty in the match. Lots of false finishes. Maybe not lots, but a couple to make you go. Oh no, they're gonna. <sighs> And then fucking FTR goes on their second monster run, give them those belts again, and just fucking we're on we're we're the FTR show now. Push them as top guys, cause they're fucking top guys, goddammit. Santino Marella was on the Insight podcast with Chris Van Vliet this week. Fantastic little interview. Santino's a charming as fuck guy. Of course, Santino now working with Impact Wrestling as an authority figure of some kind. Perfect role for him. I love Santino. I've always loved Santino. Uh, he's so he's comedic gold. He was so fucking talented, unbelievably talented, both in the ring and but as a comedian and a character. Kurt Angle asked, as a matter of fact, because he came in. He's a legitimate badass. He could kick the shit out of pretty much anybody. Very very tough guy. Very skilled in actual uh, wrestling ability, but he's. 
a comedic genius. The fucking eyebrow, Santina. They covered it all in this interview with Chris Van Vliet. A fantastic little interview. A charming interview. Uh, I almost didn't listen to it, you know, because, look, Santino's not a, a super, like, headline, eye-popping guy or anything like that. But, man, I was smiling the whole time I was listening to this. Uh, there's two clips I want to draw your attention to in particular here. The um, first one was he's talking about his debut with the WWE, which to me was a fantastic de- WWE debut. You know, we don't see any too many like really important, really like memorable WWE debuts for a lot of guys uh, these days. But this one in particular, if you remember, I remember it very fondly. Where Umaga was just beating the fuck out of people as the Intercontinental Champion, man. Thumbing people. And that's why when you see, if you watched Umaga, you see Solo Sokoa with that fucking thumb, the Samoan spike. And you know how dangerous that shit is. That shit's over because Umaga got that shit over. He was killing people. I loved me some Umaga back in the day. And then his fucking Armando Estrada. Everybody, listen to me. Ha ha. Um, breaks the cigar. You know, so fucking cool. But Umaga was on this tear. He was just dominating people. And then some fuck in the front row gets challenged to come in the ring and try to take the strap from Umaga. Check out this clip. So at what point, like, I imagine you get there with everybody else. Then when do they go, okay, well, uh, Santino, you're going to go out in the crowd now. Oh, so, okay. So as I'm walking in the door, I had met Arn Anderson before at OVW. And literally, like, they're walking out of the production meeting. He has his, you know, his papers in his back pocket. And he walks by and goes, hey, kid, you having a good day? You're winning the IC strap. And walks away. I'm like, IC strap? That means Intercontinental Championship? Like, he, did I just hear that right? You know? And then uh, then someone confirmed it. We had a little walkthrough. And then the show starts, and then they bring me out to a seat that says reserved. And uh, then the scene. The crazy thing was when um, Vince's music hit, everybody rushed the barricade, like four or five people deep. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's not going to see me. And I'm, like, panicking. And then slowly, as he's talking, they kind of filtered back to their seats. And then Umaga came out. And it, it might have been the other order, but... They rushed the barricade again. I go, oh, my God, I lost my opportunity again. And um, then they kind of filtered back to their seats. And then when he said, does anybody in the audience? And I'm like, Phew! and I was there. I was front row. I think I even had to, you know, nudge someone out of the way. But I, I, I had to make sure he can see me. And then he scanned the audience and said, you, that guy. Yeah, and the brown shirt. Yeah. I, I still have that shirt. I'm saving it for the movie. It was such a fun debut. They just don't do them like that anymore. There's so few and far between when they do cool shit like that. Usually people just debut as a fucking greenhorn and work their way up the ranks or whatever. Maybe they make their debut in a rumble or something like that. But these kind of these little fun storyline angle debuts, they're really fun and they're effective when they're used properly. This was effective. You know how over Santino was? In the moment, you know, and he talked about this here, how he quickly, you know, the fans turned on him pretty quick because 
him as a character was untrained, right? He's just some guy out of the crowd. So you can only just beat established guys for so long before fans start to kind of it, it loses his steam. So he did turn heel pretty quick, but for that moment, that just that moment in itself, win the Intercontinental title to beat Umaga, it was a very, very big deal at that time. And especially because Umaga was established. You can get away with that kind of shit when somebody's over. He was killing everybody. He was beating everybody. He was a dominant Intercontinental Champion. So that's why it was that much more of a shock, a surprise, and a moment. Uh, they talked about all kinds of fun stuff. He got into Santina on here. Um... They talked about that time that he almost won the Elimination Chamber. I was at that show, actually. It was in Milwaukee. The Elimination Chamber, it came down to him and Brian Danielson. Daniel Bryan at the time. And, of course, we all knew Daniel Bryan was going to WrestleMania, but they created this element of surprise in this match where there was uh, enough. Uh, I don't remember. You know, I haven't gone back and watched it, so I couldn't tell you if there was a lot of false finishes. But there was enough there with false finishes and oh-so-closes that there was a genuine feel that it was a possibility that Santino was going to win this shit. You know, I was there for that, and uh, that was a cool moment. And uh, the the other thing that Santino's so known for is the Cobra. <laughs> the most ridiculous move since the People's Elbow. Right up there with the People's Elbow. Doesn't have the star power of the rock, but as a move in general, same thing. Same energy, right? Check out this clip of Santino talking about how the Cobra came to be. Where did you come up with the Cobra? The Cobra, is, I was in Japan, so... For most of 2004, I was living in Japan. And after the shows there, we all go to the, a bar, a restaurant, and everything. And there was a gentleman named Taro, who was friends with uh, my coach, uh, Mr. Ishikawa. And he just was sitting at the table and just showed me this thing where he transforms his arm into this like, little kind of wooden puppet type thing. And I remember looking at Mr. Ishikawa and being like, I don't get it, what is that? It was always oh, just a funny thing he does, you know? So he, he made me try it. The next time I saw him, he's like, do you remember how to do it? You know? And that was it. Like, that was it. That was just a little funny thing between us. I'm guessing about five years later, I believe it was Atlanta. And I was wrestling either Chavo or Carlito. I think it was Chavo. And I said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something during my comeback. So it's like, you know, jab and clothesline or whatever, punch. And then I, I stop and do this transformation of my arm. And I hit him. And he turns away into a schoolboy. And without seeing it on TV, the audience immediately laughed. So, and I, Cena, I always sat beside Cena. So he came back, I came back through the curtain. He's like, ah, I would keep that if I were you. That, like, that was funny. And so I was doing it only on live events. And then one day I go to TV and Ricky Steamboat was my producer. And he's like, uh, I was wrestling Zack Ryder. And he goes, you know, you're going over with the, with the Cobra. Vince wants to see the Cobra. I'm like, Vince knows about the Cobra? He goes, yeah, he reads the reports. And I go, Okay. So then, yeah, I did the I did the co but the Cobra was crazy. Like in three weeks, it, it was really quickly, I would gesture for it, and I would see in my like peripheral vision, like the entire arena, like jumping up, like in and they're doing it with you too. And I'm like, really? Like I'm okay. They they like it. I mean, <laughs> I didn't find it that spectacular, but they loved it. So, and then I think I did it for like a year without the the sleeve, and then we introduced the the sleeve. That's brilliant marketing. But one of the biggest compliments I ever had, I was doing a signing, this guy came up to me and he said, hey, um, when I was in elementary school, they had to ban the Cobra from my school, like on the announcements. 
because everyone was cobraing each other. That and is like, so good. That's like I'm, that's like oh, I made it. That's like you know, pop culture mainstream. Like you're, if the cobra has to be banned, the cobra's over. I just really recommend this interview just for the, just to hear Santino talk, man. He just he's such a he's a good storyteller. He's charming. He, he'll give you that smile while you're watching, and he's humble. He's humble as fuck. You, everything he talked about, just so happy to be there, happy to have the opportunity. Just, just you know, he understood the assignment. He was there to to do his thing, and and he enjoyed every single second of it. Anything that they gave him, any piece of shit, the, the eyebrow. He tried. He said he tried to stop doing the eyebrow for a little bit. Vince wouldn't let him, and then he he got to the point where he got injured, and then he came back, and he just didn't do the eyebrow, and Vince had forgotten by then, so it wasn't the thing anymore, which is totally a Vince thing, right? You know, he's going to not let you get away with the eyebrow, but by the time you come back from injury, he's long forgotten about it. (laughs) Doesn't even remember it was a thing. Uh, Yeah. Great shit. Great, great interview with Santino. Informative and just fun. And look, I love, there's so many bitter guys in professional wrestling nowadays that just bitch about their time, bitch about other guys, bury other guys, get themselves over that way. I love these humble guys that come out. And look, I love a good shit talker. You know, I covered on this show Dutch Mantel and Ric Flair talking shit back and forth. So I love a good trash talker. I love a good fight, a good beef, but. I like these guys that can come out and just be humble and appreciative and happy for their opportunity and, and happy for everything they're give, given. And Santino, my God, is <clears throat> he is the prime example of when you tell somebody, if you give somebody something bad, give them something shit to work with and tell them, well, it's your job to go get it over, kid. You know, you can bitch about it. You can complain about it. You can do it half-assed because you don't like it. Or you can put your whole fucking soul into making it the greatest thing it could be. And I think Santino is example number one of what to do with dog shit. Making chicken salad out of chicken shit. Huh? That's it. That's all I got for you. Thank you for checking out the show, hanging out with me all the way to the end. Look, I know I've had a few longer ones the last couple weeks. I don't know how long this one will end up being once I get it edited down and stuff. Uh, I don't shoot. I, I shoot. My goal is to shoot for an hour. If I'm under an hour, I feel like I'm shortchanging you guys. Um, but even when I do an hour, I, I sometimes I look at the amount of clips and like I feel like for a clip show I should have more than. You know, five, six clips, you know, I should have like 10 clips, but then becomes a two hour show. Even if I try to not talk as long, like, you know, I don't set any kind of time for how long I'm going to talk about something. You know, when I get a subject that's interesting, I want to, sh- I want to share it with you guys or it's newsworthy. I just talk on it till I don't have anything to say about it anymore. Or if I feel like I'm talking in circles or repeating myself, I'll try to wrap it up then. But if I have thoughts on it, I just kind of bleh the thoughts until the thoughts are gone on it. So sometimes these shows can go long, and I apologize if you know it's a chore to sit through that long. If you haven't made it to the end of some of these uh, in recent weeks, and I had a two-hour, couple two-hour ones, and then last week's was two and a half hours. That's a lot. I know it's a lot. I know it is. I really do. But um, 
look, it's there for you. And in in a lot of this, you know, to be a hundred percent honest with you, a lot of my views, a lot of my clicks, a lot of my listens, a lot of the the bulk of the uh, consumed content that I put out comes in the form of the clips, the segments. When I clip these out, you know, I appreciate you guys that listen to the full show. Uh, you guys are my favorites, by the way. You're my, you're my little favorites. Um, but there's people that just enjoy the clips, too. They're just going to pop on. They don't care to hear my voice for an hour, two hours, three hours. My fucking opinion on everything under the moon in wrestling. But maybe there's, you know, a particular, you know, like last week. Maybe you liked the, uh, you know, the the Sonya Deville's got a gun fucking clip, but... You didn't give a shit about, you know, Roman Reigns promo or something. You know what I mean? Like, so that's why, you know, I, I, I do put an emphasis on clips. And look at me fucking sitting here trying to apologize for giving you guys a shit ton of content to listen to. Uh, speaking of content, I do intend to record a review, as I said at the beginning of the show, for Scream this weekend. And uh, look, hey, guys, you know, I did promise some bonus content to wrestling related bonus content. And uh, just 100% honest, man, life gets in the way of stuff sometimes. I have a full-time job. I have kids. And, and look, sometimes, you know, I go through my own personal up and ups and downs where maybe I'm not feeling as motivated. And, you know, I'm trying to do uh, get a book finished, too, right now. So I am contributing time to a book that has been spent, you know, maybe doing, like, shorts or something like that. You know, I have to be conscious of the time that I'm putting into things uh you know I haven't done my reaction videos in a while either which I'm going to be getting back to I'm looking to get back to some of this stuff I haven't forgot about it I'm not gonna just leave you guys hanging but uh you know I do want to be honest and check in with you guys too let you know where I'm at with shit Cause sometimes some days you just wake up and you just meh okay you don't feel like doing shit so there's that or you get sidetracked with kids life things Stuff happens. So, uh, but I do got some fun stuff coming your way. I had come up with the idea of possibly doing a um, more brackets. You know, I had wanted to maybe go over the best tag team of all time. That's something I'm chewing on right now. Is doing a bracketology. We'll just go through. Okay, randomly generated, right? So it just will randomly pit like, say, fucking best friends and then the fucking heart foundation and then i'll pick well heart foundation obviously and then that eliminates best friends and we move on you know what i mean heart foundation stays in the mix till they maybe they get put up against ftr and then i say well ftr is better than them so on so i'm thinking i might do a video like that i don't know uh I, i'll quit yakking here you guys don't care <laughs> um plugs Got my book down in the description below, The Gathering, A Bold Journey into the Belly of the Juggalo Underworld. Haven't plugged that in a couple weeks, but uh, it's out there. It's it's uh, available to you, Audible, Kindle, and Amazon, as well as if you could just follow me, like, subscribe on social media, especially on YouTube. If nowhere else, please throw me a subscribe on YouTube. Pretty fucking please. Uh, that's where I need you most, um, but certainly on the podcast feed or if you're on Facebook. TikTok or Twitter at Seth Grimes Media. That's all I got to say to you. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me. I it just fucking means the world that people listen to me talk. So for that, I am thankful, and for that, I will keep doing it. 
Peace, love, and pizza. I am your boy, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. That one was a little awkward. I think I wanted to try to slip into a Vince McMahon accent a little bit towards that, towards the end of that. I think that's where that went wrong. And then I tried to catch myself, and then it just sounded meh. Just meh. Juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a Juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm, I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld.